Michigan's Children proudly presents Speaking for Kids, the podcast where we explore crucial conversations impacting the lives of all Michigan children, youth, and families, especially the most vulnerable. Join us each month as we explore public policies and issues in the best interest of our kids and families. We'll bring you lawmakers and policymakers, advocates fighting for change, and the people most affected by those decisions. With our host, Matt Gillard, President and CEO of Michigan's Children, we'll invite you to become engaged too and show you how to take action on what matters most to you. Episodes are recorded live and shared virtually on YouTube and the audio hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Hello, and welcome back to Speaking for Kids, the podcast from Michigan's Children. I'm Matt Gillard, your host and the President and CEO of Michigan's Children. We're recording this episode on April 11th, 2022. For today's podcast, I'm excited to welcome a great friend to early childhood, the renowned researcher and scholar, Dr. Walter Gilliam. Walter joins us today to talk about the social emotional development needs of our youngest children, infants and toddlers, and the importance of Michigan's infant early childhood mental health consultation program. Walter is professor of child psychology, or psychiatry and psychology at the Yale University Child Study Center and is the director of the Edward Ziegler Center in Child Development and Social Policy. He co-authored the book, A Vision for Universal Preschool Education, and his groundbreaking study from 2005 called Pre-Kindergarten Left Behind examined expulsion rates and the reasons for expulsions in state preschool programs across the country. His scholarly writings address early childhood care and education programs, school readiness, and developmental assessment of young children. Not surprisingly, he's been sought out as a national expert on early care and education issues by decision makers in this country and other countries around the world. Walter, welcome to Speaking for Kids. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, as you know, Michigan's Children is a, a child advocacy organization here in Michigan, and we've uh, been a longtime supporter of, of early childhood issues and, and many issues, child care related and others here in the state. And, and this year in Michigan right now, as we record this, we're in the midst of our, our state budget process and the state lawmakers and the governor uh, are working toward adoption of a new fiscal year 2023 state budget. We're making the pitch that uh, a major boost to our current investment in our infant early childhood mental health consultation program. We're actually asking for $6.8 million to expand that program statewide uh, in this budget process. And let's let's kind of jump right into that. Let's start by talking about what, what you say and what the research confirms is so valuable about these programs, especially in this day and age. You're speaking specifically around around expansion of early care and education programs, or are you specifically speaking about the supports for them? Because those are both two important things. Yeah, more about the supports for them and more about like like the mental health consultation program uh, that is run here in Michigan and others and the supports for providers. You know, it's a it's a it's a distinct pleasure to be talking about this topic here with you in Michigan. And the reason why is because Michigan has long been a pioneer, a, um, a uh, bellwether state when it comes to issues having to do with early childhood mental health consultation and mental health supports. As a matter of fact, you, uh, you mentioned this groundbreaking study that we did in 2005, which was the first to document the rate at which children are being expelled suspended from, excluded from pre-K programs, and also the race and gender disproportionality in, in which that happens. But the reality is 
before we did that study in 2005, there were already studies that were being done in Michigan. They were just smaller scale studies. And so we really didn't break the ground. Uh, the ground was broke there in Michigan uh, with a study, I believe it was out of the um, uh, Southgate Child Guidance Clinic. Does that sound about right? Yep. And they did a study on childcare expulsion and documented the rate at which that was happening in Michigan and was using that to generate interest in providing mental health supports. And so in a, in a way, our groundbreaking study wasn't really the groundbreaking. The groundbreaking was right there in Michigan. Yeah, and we had a we had, like you said, back in even starting in the 90s, a a you know what at the time was seen as kind of a revolutionary or, or a uh, maybe ahead of the curve program. Unfortunately, it had a terrible name from a from a government program or a state-run funding program started called the Child Care Expulsion Prevention Program, uh, CCEP, that we were funding at the state level. Um, that really became a model, right, for other states, and and that what really what we're seeing even still today as an example of where public investment can help address some of these concerns that were pointed out in those studies. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Michigan was on, on the cutting edge of all of that kind of stuff. The Connecticut model that I was involved in um, evaluating and, and helping to conceptualize some of the elements for it was in large part based on what was happening in Michigan at the time. So the Connecticut model was developed in the early 2000s. And similar to Michigan, the idea is to uh, harness the mental health supports that already exist in communities and train these mental health clinicians to be able to work in childcare programs, to be able to support the early care and education providers, to be able to provide a more mentally healthy environment for all of the inhabitants of that environment. That means the adult staff and the children and the families that they serve and to be able to see whether or not that was a way to be able to reduce the rate at which these children were being expelled from these programs. And so in Connecticut, there was a model, it was relatively short term, it was only about three months long, the, the, you know, so a classroom would have access to a mental health consultant for about three months, but it was fairly intense. The mental health consultant would be in the classroom for maybe you know seven, eight, nine or so hours a week. You know, so fairly intense, but fairly, short term, we did a statewide random controlled trial of the, um, of the model. So a very rigorous kind of study where we were taking advantage of the fact that the, the model was so, so needed that it was running a wait list. And so we randomized people to either get the access to mental health consultation immediately or be placed on a wait list. And when we did that and we evaluated uh, how things were going before and after, uh, the findings were that the, the, the supports were incredibly successful. Teachers' perceptions of children's challenging behaviors dropped pretty significantly in just three months at a rate that outpatient psychotherapy would love to have, at a rate that you hardly ever see in mental health clinics themselves. You know? And so when you think about it from an effectiveness standpoint, and when you think about it from an efficiency and a cost efficiency standpoint, it was a very efficient model. And even when you just think about it conceptually, it makes so much sense. I mean, typically what happens is a child gets expelled from one childcare program, then what happens? The, the parent needs childcare. And so that child gets enrolled in a different childcare program. And nobody's gonna be bragging about the fact that the child was expelled from a childcare program. And so oftentimes what happens is the child gets expelled again 
because we're not meeting that child's need. And so the child gets expelled from one program to another program to another program. And then eventually that child ends up in a child guidance clinic with a social worker or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. That's usually what happens. And so in this model, when we're talking about early childhood mental health consultation, what we're attempting to do essentially is to flip that model upside down. What if instead of expelling children out of childcare programs and into mental health clinics, what if we expelled the mental health clinicians out of their clinics and put them in childcare programs where they can actually be a source of prevention? And what we ultimately found is that it's way more effective and way cheaper than the old way of waiting for children to become so damaged by expulsions and suspensions that they ultimately have to end up in a mental health clinic with a much more pricier treatment. And that's why I, I really um, gravitate towards this model. But there's another reason too that I gravitate towards this model. And, and that's that it's not just about trying to do something to help just the one child. It's about helping the whole system. It's about helping all the children in that classroom and helping that provider too, who's probably feeling an awful lot of stress right at the time that she's requesting those assistances. Yeah, that's exactly true here in Michigan. I mean, that's what we find that is that the providers who have had access to this program um, are the greatest champions, right? Are the ones that, that can espouse the benefits of it and, and are our strongest supporters uh, when it comes to, to us advocating for expansion of this program. Um, and and they, they will even say that, that it's, it's changed dramatically how they approach students you know, once they've had access to this and have been in, in connection with this and, and how they're able to recognize uh, with different students, even, even after maybe, you know, they're no, even when they're no longer um, utilizing the consultation services directly, but they're still, they're, the benefits that have been provided to them through uh, connection with it continue and, and impact every other family and child that they're able to, to uh, care for moving forward. Yeah, because it's about supporting the adults that are wrapped around those children. And those adults mean parents and families, but it also means these, these paid childcare providers and preschool teachers and these people, these wonderful, amazing, terrific people who give their life to care for other people's children. You know, and in many cases, we put them in incredibly stressful situations when we do not provide them the support that they need in order to be able to do their job as well as they would like to do it. For children. And so I mean, we owe our children this, this kind of support, but we also owe these providers this kind of support. When we um, did a second random control trial in Ohio, uh, it was similar to what we did in, in Connecticut. Uh, the only difference is that we also randomly selected peers of the child who prompted the request for the mental health support. So usually there's a, there's a child or a couple of children that the teachers having some particular challenges around, and then that might be the reason that they're going to request a service to come in, uh, like early childhood mental health consultation. But then there's other children in that classroom too. And so we were interested, well, what's the effect of this model on, on, on those bystander children who happen to also be in the classroom? And guess what? Their behaviors improved too. And the reason why was because the mental health consultant wasn't pulling children out into the hallway to do mental health magic in the hallway and then re reinserting them back in the classroom. The mental health consultant instead was right in there in the classroom with the provider in a partnership and doing the work in a way that affected the way in which that teacher was able to respond to all the children in her care. And that is the only way that we're ever gonna possibly be able to get ahead 
of this level of mental health need. We cannot have a delivery system that is, in, it is so inefficient that it's only addressing or attempting to address one child at a time. We need to be able to have models like early childhood mental health consultation that can leave behind residual effects that can affect all the children in that classroom and affect that provider in the years to come. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, and I would say, similarly, the only way we're gonna truly solve the childcare crisis and issue that we have in our country is by providing the levels of supports and services that the providers need to truly make the system work. And, and you know, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, attention and I'd say some limited success here in Michigan and, and, around, and, and federally as well around understanding the importance of childcare. The pandemic has certainly laid bare a lot of the challenges that we face uh, with for young children, caring for young children in this country. And we've seen increased revenues, um, both at the federal and state level here in Michigan to support our childcare system. But what people are starting to understand is what those of us as, as early childhood advocates and child advocates have recognized for a long time is that if we truly want to create a childcare system that works, uh, we need to do a much better job of supporting the providers uh, in the backbone of that childcare system. And this is an excellent example. Bingo, uh, and bingo, bingo. Can't, can't agree with you more on that. I've come to the conclusion a long time ago that the measure of how much any society truly loves its babies is how well it cares for those who care for those babies. And by that measure, we're really not doing a very good job. We are not caring for our childcare providers and our early educators to the level that we should be. These are people who are caring for our children. They're taking care of our babies. And if we truly loved our babies, we'd be loving those people too. And we'd be providing them the support that they need and the compensation that they deserve in order for them to be able to feel whole so that their cup overfloweth so that they'll have something to give our children. Absolutely. You're right. And I mean, that's, and a lot of it obviously does, does center around compensation and, and increasing provider rates and others. And we obviously are, are, you know, consistently focused on that, but, but it's beyond just compensation. And I think the mental health consultation program is a perfect example of a, of another type of support that needs to be provided to uh, our, our childcare workers and our early childhood workers across the spectrum. So totally in that agree. Theme, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about maybe somebody who is doing this and has, it may be a, a state or two that, that is getting this and, and kind of uh, maybe ahead of the curve now where Michigan used to be about recognizing the need for investment in these areas. Uh, you mentioned Connecticut. Is there anybody else out there that, uh, that you, you see as, as kind of uh, you know, pushing the envelope forward on this? Yeah, and uh, I'll mention this in a way that I that that might tweak a little bit of rivalry there in Michigan. I'm going to talk about that state down south. So, so in as you know, in Columbus, they like to talk about that school up north. So that state down south from you in Ohio, um, they decided a few years ago to carve money out directly out of the governor's budget to provide early childhood mental health consultation and a statewide hotline number. And they provide mental health consultation. I think it's within 48 hours of a telephone call. They have a mental health consultant go out there and provide an immediate assessment of what's going on and provide immediate supports. And we've done statewide random control evaluation of that model in Ohio and found it to be highly successful and cost efficient. And so if they can do that down in the Buckeye State, then certainly Sparty and Wolverines can too. 
Absolutely. And, and I can tell you firsthand, uh, nothing seems to get the attention of legislators more and the governor more than when you can tell them than when you can tell them that one of our neighboring states and particularly a competitor state as we see it, like Ohio, is doing something better than us. So so that's a great example and one we'll certainly share from an advocacy standpoint. Exactly. Why should the children of Monroe have to suffer when the children of Toledo have access to a program like that statewide? No, you're absolutely right. And, and like I said before, I mean, in an era where we are seeing increased, you know, primarily from the federal land and a lot of it through the relief measures that were passed in Congress as a result of the pandemic, but we're seeing significant increased funding into our child care system. We think it just makes too much sense to ignore that that some of those resources should be directed specifically into the types of supports and services that we're talking about here. Um, so, Walter, we've, we've talked kind of, I think, in, in the one one thing before we wrap up here, I'd like to get into, and we hinted at this a little bit, but, you know, kind of the equity impact of, of a program like the Mental Health Consultation Program, um, and really, you know, how, what the research has shown and where uh, implicit bias, and we don't need to get too deep into this, but, but really where we can talk about, uh, how this program in particular really strikes at an equity court. Yeah. <clears throat> so the whole point of education is about opportunity. It's about spreading opportunities, about spreading equity. It's about giving every child a chance at the plate. And not every child's going to hit a home run at, at bat, but every child deserves a chance at the plate with a fair pitch ball and a decent bat. That's the whole idea of public education and education in general and certainly is the idea behind early childhood education. Early childhood education is based completely on the premise of making sure that all of our children can benefit to the maximal degree possible for the, from the educational opportunities that are gonna be provided from them, you know, to them. But we found out in our study back in 2005 that you were referencing, that not only were children being expelled from preschool programs at a rate more than three times that of grades K through 12 combined, and in childcare programs, about 13 times the rate of grades K through 12 combined, but that our black children were expelled at about twice the rate of our white children. And our boys at about four times the rate of our girls. And especially our black boys at greatest risk of being expelled and excluded. Now, I'm not saying that they were at greater risk of having challenging behaviors. What I was saying is this, they're just at greater risk of being excluded because of them, being kicked out of the program because of them. And that's what ultimately found in several of our studies. And Part that bothers me the most about this, honestly, is that, you know, when we think about, you know, like investing in early care and education, people refer to early care and education as an investment, and it is. The money that goes into these programs yield back dividends later on in the form of reduced special education placement, reduced grade retention, increased earnings later on in life. This is an investment. And a lot of that investment talk came from cost-benefit analyses done on early care and education programs dating back to the granddaddy of them all, the Perry Preschool Study in Ypsilanti, Michigan, right there in Michigan. And in that study, they found that when money is put into early care and education programs, it yields back societal benefits. And there was another cost-benefit analysis that was done that, that bore that out too. That was in Abbasidarian Project in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. 
And then there's a third one in Chicago, not too far from Michigan also, the Chicago Child Parents Centers. Those are the three big studies that people cite when they want to make the case that early care and education is an investment in our children. Those three big studies. But the thing that many people tend to leave out from the discussion is this, the Perry Preschool Study was a study of 123 children in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and every child in that study was black. And the Chapel Hill study, in the Abbott-Sedarian study in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 98% of the children in that study were black. And in the Chicago Child Parents Centers, 93% of the children in that study were black. What we've been doing here in our nation is taking data that belong to our black children, our black families, our black communities, using it to build a program for the benefit of all children. And then when no one's paying attention, expel out the back door of the children and families and communities who gave us the data in the first place. That's why I care about the equity element of this. It's just not fair. And it's just not American to take their data and use it for the benefit of all of us and then exclude them from actually being able to benefit themselves from the thing that their data built. Amen to that. Well, thank you, Walter. I think we can close on that note. You're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the major reasons why Michigan's children as well has focused on specifically uh, the mental health consultation model as a real prime example or area of focus for us uh, in this state budget process and to make the case moving forward. I want to thank Dr. Matt, can I throw in one more thing? I, and and, and, and I, I, I hate to, to interrupt you on this, but you had mentioned before about the effect of the pandemic. And we've been, since the beginning, my team and I at Yale, we've been doing epidemiologic studies of the, the child care workforce across the nation. We now have over 126,000 early care and education providers in these epidemiologic studies. And we're looking at all kinds of different things from COVID-19 transmission to depression rates in our early care and education providers. And two months into the pandemic, 46%, 46% of our early care and education providers across the nation, a large number of those in Michigan, were screening positive for diagnosable levels of depression. I'm not saying 46% of them were sad every once in a while. I'm saying 46% of them screening positive for diagnosable levels of major depression. And 14, 15 months later than that, back in August of 2021, that 46% became 56%. 56% of our early care and education workforce screening positive for depression. That is incredibly alarming and concerning. I look at data for a living, but rarely do I ever do statistical analyses and look at the data and want to cry over it. 56% of our early care and education workforce screening positive for diagnosable levels of depression. And the stress rates are through the roof. And there are clear racial patterns to who it is that's carrying the heavier burden of COVID and who's carrying the heavier burden of depression as a result of that. And also a clear relationship between those findings and the economic stress that's being felt by our early care and education providers who during the pandemic, when it wasn't clear that it was safe for K through 12 teachers to be going to work every day, they were going to work every single day because they were the workforce that made other, every other workforce possible. They were the essential workforce that made every other essential workforce able to exist. And during the pandemic, they were carrying an incredibly heavy weight. 
we owe it to them to provide them these supports. We need to pay them better, but we also need to provide them the supports that they need in order to be able to do their job well. And we need to be treating them like the wonderful, amazing human beings they are with all of the challenges that they experience in their everyday lives. Everything from the economic stress and burden of COVID-19, what it means to be caring for other people's children in the middle of a pandemic, and also the effects of racialized aggression because we were finding incredibly high rates of that too in a workforce that is overwhelmingly women and disproportionately, disproportionately relying on the undercompensated wages of largely women of color. And if we can't do better by them, then what, what reasonable person would expect that they would have anything left over to be able to do as well by our children as they want to? We gotta do better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's a very, very timely uh, point to make as well. You know, part of the discussion that we're having here in Michigan as the state budget process plays out is all these proposals around they call hero pay for our K-12 employees and for our, our first responders and others in result of, you know, essentially retention bonuses or, or, or job-related bonuses to certain fields based on the impact that the pandemic has had on them. And we and other early childhood advocates are screaming that the early childhood community and the childcare community and the, the early childhood professionals need to be included in those discussions as well. You know, we've done, a, I think, a, a decent job with the federal resources that have come through here in Michigan to do as best as we can to support the industry uh, throughout those pandemic relief dollars that came through. But as we're talking about at the state level, um, addressing certain areas or professions that have been impacted by the pandemic, you make an excellent point. I mean, the childcare and the early childhood industry at the forefront has been really, you know, uh, at the forefront of those issues as the pandemic progressed throughout our country. Well, thank you again, Dr. Gilliam, uh, for all that you do. And thank you for agreeing to be a guest here today. Uh, and thank you to all of the listeners. Uh, and please stay tuned for other podcasts. And one thing I'd like to promote in particular is uh, please join us next week on Wednesday, April 20th for our monthly Lunch and Learn. And this month, we're actually focusing on mental health services for children of all ages, from infants and toddlers right through school age and beyond. So once again, uh, stay tuned for further podcasts from Michigan's children. They'll be coming out once a month. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to Speaking for Kids, the podcast for Michigan's children with host Matt Gillard. Thanks for joining us. To explore these and other issues relevant to our state's children, youth, and families, and to build your advocacy muscle, go to our website at www.michiganschildren.org. You'll find links and news about past and future podcast topics under our resource tab and action alerts under the Take Action tab. Find and like us on Facebook and Twitter. Terry Bannis and Stephen Wallace produced this podcast. Contact them with your questions and ideas for other topics. Michigan's Children is a nonprofit advocacy organization, an independent voice working to reduce disparities in child outcomes from cradle to career through policy change.